Sophia Cleary is a queer, multidisciplinary powerhouse, actor, writer, artist, comedian, and performer, drawing from experiences as diverse as being a birth doula, waiter, and analyst for a private investigator. Sophia has presented her work at esteemed venues around the world and is presently host of the monthly comedy show Smile Knife and is workshopping her one-woman show It Gets Worse, which you can see in New York or Los Angeles. Sophia is also half of the feminist punk band Penis. Welcome, Sophia, to Sober Sex. overshare on podcasts so um sometimes <laughs> I either feel good about that or sometimes I don't so we'll see well I've, I've been doing my research by listening to your other podcasts that you've done <laughs> so <laughs> a lot of my questions will be about what you potentially have observed as yourself oversharing but I just as a listener appreciate oh I'm so um, glad that's what I yeah, hope for. No, I, well I really appreciate you being open to having this conversation after like a cold dm <laughs> of course um, yeah. So what, like, welcome to the show. Where are we talking? We, where am I talking to you from today? Well, you and I are in my office in, uh, I literally don't know where I am. No, Los Angeles. <laughs> I live in Los Angeles. Very cool. Um, awesome. And, and like, cause you're kind of between LA and New York. Yes. I mean, Obviously, that's what I want everybody to think. Yes, that's um, <laughs> but I am I'm based in LA. You know, it's not like I have two places or something like that. But I lived in New York City for so long um, that I can basically go there and always find a guest bed to sleep on. Um, well, so this is the beauty of like being an adult, right? That like your our friends now have like spare. Exactly. Bedrooms. I'm like, everybody's <laughs> literally like a homeowner now. Um, but yeah, I mean, not in New York city really, but, um, so yeah. And then my partner also grew up in New York. So when we go there, will like stay with their family worst comes to worst you know nice yes yeah and where did you grow up I grew up in New Jersey oh cool so thoroughbred adjacent yeah exactly and you know as a Jersey girl like I over identify with New York City like almost more so (laughs) than my partner does who grew up there you know like I'm so obsessed with like New York or whatever and it's like you're literally (laughs) from New Jersey don't you ever forget it (laughs) I mean, like, I'm a native New Yorker, and, and yes, are, we love to remind course. people from New Jersey that they're not from New York. It's like, literally, it's just like, passion. you think this place is much more romantic and cool than it actually is. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're like, actually, like, you can't claim it, which is so right. fucked up. Right, right. Like, I know. I mean, I feel like New Yorkers mostly get off on telling other people that they're not New Yorkers. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, so how are you? This, it's like quite early morning where you are yeah um how are you this morning (laughs) I'm 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 okay I mean to be honest 
I am emotionally afraid. Oh, <laughs> I, I just, love that honesty. <laughs> I feel like I'm okay. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not like in danger or unhealthy or anything like that, but um, emotionally I'm just exhausted. It's, I don't know. Is it the eclipse? There's like a lunar eclipse. Yeah, right lunar now. eclipse, blood moon, and the elections is happening. I'm tired. I yeah. I also found out I have to move like apartments, so I'm just sort of looking at places, and all of that instability tends to create sort of a a tired gal. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, as somebody who <laughs> deeply hates change, even when it's good for me, I definitely identify with that shit. And I mean, yeah. also like the emotionally afraid equating to being feeling exhausted all the time. I definitely like that's a thing for sure, especially because it looks like you have quite a, a good nest going in your Los Angeles office. I really do. <laughs> it's it's a really nice place. It's It's just the kind of thing. It's the kind of decision that you have to make that's like, um... You know, when you have to make decisions that are like for your future self, it's like, but it's hard right now. And you like, don't want to do it because it's uncomfortable right now. But it's like, but the choice is we should go because otherwise this is going to create more problems in the future. So it's time to go. Um, Being a fucking mature adult is a a pit. It's hell. I'm like, I didn't ask for this and um, I don't want to do it. emotionally prepared for me. I want to opt out. I'm ready to opt out, you know. (laughs) Um, Can I just not is the question. Yeah, yeah. So, but, you know, one day at a time. So. Amen. And I mean, I think that there is that like there once I'm, I find that I like gear shift into this, like I've decided to be excited about this decision I have to make, right. that then it can be kind of like, oh, and we're going to look at apartments and projecting our future lives into like this next yes. place yes. as opposed to like just thinking about like packing. <laughs> I know. I know. I tend to get really um, into the fantasy of it all. Like, I love to just fantasize about, like, my new life somewhere else, you know, as a way to escape the discomfort of right now. Um, But, yeah, as you can see, my office has, like, I have a rock collection. Nobody wants to move and pack. (laughs) No one wants to pack a rock collection. Are you insane? Like people, That's like amazing. People have, you're packing rocks. Do you understand how insane you just, are? You're feeling literally a box of rocks. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. I love my rocks. Um, and I refuse to get rid of them. (laughs) I mean, I like how at least you call them rocks and they're not masquerading as like crystals. They're just dirty crystals. That's just, they're, they're rocks. They're fully, I guess, I guess some of them are crystals. I don't know. How you guys doing over there? Um, yeah, but they're, they're good. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry that you're feeling emotionally afraid and exhausted, but I'm really excited to talk to you today. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and so kind of before we get too deep, uh, what are your pronouns? She, her. Cool. And um, you per- perhaps read this on the kind of like advanced notice questionnaire I sent you. Yeah. We, yeah, we decided that like uh, asking pronouns was pr- like performative wokeness. And so we would actually be better if we asked people what their experience with gender is. But like mm. it, no one likes that question, but we continue right. to ask. <laughs> my experience with gender or your experience like your experience I guess of gender today would be yeah I I don't know I think that's an interesting question um it's just like a hard one um I think that it's it's so interesting because I get called sir like almost every single day 
I'm kind of a tall person. (laughs) I have short hair. You know, if I have a baseball cap on, it's full, sir, you know? Um, And it doesn't bother me, but I... I'm very much like, I'm a beautiful girl. Like, that's how I feel on the inside. I I haven't heard anybody who I identify with more answer this question. (laughs) Like, I insist on looking like a man at most, you know, or whatever that means. I don't know. You know, like, that's that's how I feel comfortable. But I also am really angry that people don't read me as like a beautiful girly girl at the same time. Yeah, like super feminine all the time. (laughs) Yeah, and it's like, of course they don't. Like you look like, uh, you know, you look like your father, like going to the construction site. I'm Um, like, what about this fucking jumpsuit tells you that I'm not a beautiful woman? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, um, so I definitely, it's, it's funny, like I I, I do feel non-binary because it's like I just exist that way, whether I like it or not, frankly. So it's almost like it, it has happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I really enjoy that fluidity. Um, but I, I love I love being a woman. And what I what I say in my stand up is like, and I know I'm a woman because I would murder by poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> no knives here, baby. <laughs> exactly. Like I would slowly poison you over many years and it would be quiet and no one would ever know. And that's why I'm a woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think about that a lot. I think about like violence in the United States, especially. I'm like, they're not enough women gun gun crimes. Like right? it's totally the I patriarchy. Know. I know, I know. <laughs> um, wow, that's really interesting. Like it's funny because I, I I also get misgendered a lot. And like even always at the airport mm-hmm. and even if I'm wearing like a full beat I'll be wearing like, totally. like insane eye makeup like a fucking unicorn like my entire upper half of my face will be like yeah. a rainbow and people will be like, like so we got to your ID yeah yeah exactly <laughs> anyway um so again as I mentioned I heard you on a bunch of other podcasts and I was kind of like who is calling not the time sorry <laughs> Apologies, we'll edit that. Out. My agent. <laughs> yes, Sophia's agent is on the is on the line, wondering how much she's getting paid for this podcast. Um, um, so, like as I as I mentioned, I heard you in other podcasts talking with the language of the heart, which led me yeah. to believe that you're in recovery. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, like, can you talk a little bit about your experience with that? Yes. Um, Why do I think you're in recovery is my question. Because I literally use all the slogans all the time. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So I'm in uh, the Al-Anon Fellowship. (gasps) We love Al-Anon. Yes. (laughs) I've been doing that for about five years. And um, it's so funny because I haven't been to a meeting actually in a while. So I feel like a total asshole right now. But it's just been too stressful. But it's okay. Progress, not not perfection. Progress, not perfection. Progress, not perfection. Um, so I'm in that fellowship and then I also have dabbled in sex and love addicts anonymous as well as Ooh. debtors anonymous and those, and also ACA, um, adult children of alcoholics. Awesome. So, so you are like a fucking in, the, in recovery. I, I mean, I am, it's like, you can always compare yourself to other people who seemingly are like doing it better than you, but no, I, I mean, <laughs> that's not part of my recovery so but yeah I try, I try to go to I, I I use it 
as I need it. And, um, I've met amazing people through it and it's, um, uh, I'm probably mostly like most grounded in Al-Anon. Like that's the program where I have a sponsor and I, I take commitments and I, I go to those meetings most regularly. That's awesome. And have you felt like, I mean, I, as a, as a recovering cocaine addict, Mm-hmm. Um, we like recently we've done a, a massive kind of, um, evolution in the show where I used to have two co-hosts and now I have no two, no co-hosts, <laughs> but mm-hmm. one of them is a, a double winner, AKA, you know, uh, mm-hmm. in, in re- alcohol recovery and in Al-Anon. Does mm-hmm. Al-Anon have like, are they obsessed with anonymity as, as alcoholics are? Uh, I mean, it's all this, it's all the same <clears throat> traditions. So yeah, you know, um, cool. And I don't, Would you I like me to beep out the name out. of your fellowship? What's that? Do you want me to beep out the name of the fellowship that you're a part oh, of? Oh, I mean, I, I don't know. The thing is, is like, I, right. I guess there's like, isn't there a tradition that's like, you're not supposed to talk about it in press or interviews or whatever. But they say press radio and films, but they're like, is a podcast press radio or films? Yeah. <laughs> or I, just, I guess I've never understood the like. I understand breaking the the anonymity for others, but I don't really get why I can't talk about my recovery in certain programs. Um, well, I think initially it was like to protect the people within the program from getting inundated with like phone calls and letters because I people see. had no solution. Right. You know, it was like such a revolutionary idea that they were like, we have to stay anonymous and only mention ourselves like either at an anonymous, like John D member of AA or whatever, mm-hmm. um, not use your last name or like, don't talk about the fact that you're, if you're a public figure, you're in the program. But I right. think it was more about like protecting the, per- the, protecting the individual from being kind of swept away with uh, yeah. people needing their help. Okay. Um, and I guess you were just talking about, um, Al-Anon and like kind of, I guess, being of service and breaking anonymity or if we Right. Can, uh, yeah. And I, I'm actually such a rule follower, <laughs> like in a lot of ways. So I, I, you know, I'm, I'm like, I struggle with this, like talking about it, but, um, I don't know. I mean, I always find it really helpful to hear about other people's experiences and how they got into certain fellowships and which ones work for them or which ones don't. So, yeah, yeah, (laughs) no, I think, I think that's so rad though. And I really appreciate you talking about it and being so open about it just because I think like, you know, we were again, like our goal here is to kind of like meet the guests at their comfort level of always, of course, but especially because I feel like Al-Anon is like one of the lesser known fellowships and like what it kind of can deal with internally. It can be so subtle that it can be actually super helpful for people to talk about like what the experiences of recovering within that fellowship, you know, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like as, as <laughs> adjacent, AKA, like I love mm-hmm. Al-Anon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's been uh, so like magnificent to watch the transformation of people who I care about within that program, you know? Yeah. I mean, like for instance, I would never be able to be making the decision I'm making right now about like leaving this apartment even though it's uncomfortable, but for future Sophia, you know what I mean? I've gotten so much more in touch with what my needs are and what my needs might be that I can kind of like 
weigh these things out in a way that's not so loaded or reactionary all the time and just kind of like one foot in front of the other. (laughs) And, um, I, I definitely catastrophize a lot less, you know, um, and I'm just like, it's going to work out. I'm on team. It's all going to work out. Like that's, that's like where I have to be. So that's fucking beautiful. Well, I mean, and also because it sounds like you're kind of in action around it working out, <laughs> you know, oh, like yeah. you're not I in mean, peril, you're not paralysis. Like, yeah. And of course it, you know, it can get that way. Um, but also something I really gleaned from my experience in, in Al-Anon is, is like, um, inviting gentleness into my mm. life especially towards myself and I'm like the least gentle person in the world like I'm I'm like put your head down and get to work you know like (laughs) shut up you know get in line no complaining I don't want to hear it you know like I'm like oh my god if I have kids like Jesus Christ Um, but that's just the that's like the household I kind of grew up in and it's not like it's not like angry necessarily it's just very like like a disciplinarian yeah there's no room for feelings like quiet down know your role, get in get line, your shit together. Yeah. Get your oh. shit together. Um, I feel like nobody, we're very nobody's going to help you. <laughs> nobody's going to help you. Don't you dare ask for help, you know? Um, and if you can do all of that, then you're an amazing person, you know? Yeah. And then maybe <laughs> and you like, will be deserving of love. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, okay, uh, sure. And, and then I feel like being like that has actually like alienated me from connection with myself and others because it, it breeds like, it's so American. I feel like a lot of these recovery programs actually are like trying to undo this kind of like it, the kind of just like white supremacist, heteropatriarchal, like rigidity and like purism or, or pure or purism. Puritanical. Pure, pure, yeah. Like <clears throat> that kind of um, the hyper individualism and um, just being like, yeah, you know, it's okay to ask for help. It's like okay to have community, <laughs> yeah, um, so which is quite fascinating because at least like the kind of the seed from which it grew is, and I think about this a lot, like because I think a lot of my work more recently has been around um, like trying to understand like what they were, what the foundation of the meaning that they were asking, not mm-hmm. so much the language that they're asking because it's like ninety nine white dudes and like one woman in totally. the third you know, with this language that's very much like rigorous and, you know, <laughs> and like, which I love because I'm, I, I laugh, I was laughing when you were kind of talking about that, like authoritarian, self-authoritarian yeah. <laughs> dictator. I mean, I think AA is really different. I think when you're getting sober, it's very different, right. Or sober from like alcohol yeah. or substances. Like that's what I've heard. At least I've been to a few AA meetings, like in my day, just accompanying friends or curious for myself. And it's definitely a little more hardcore, like get your shit together vibes. And then Al-Anon brings in the gentleness. Yeah. So it's kind of like you do both. And then Totally. Totally. And I and, and that idea of like how can you kind of use the like the principles, right? This kind mm-hmm. of like in a more gentle and loving way that is kind of, I guess, more like the, the spiritual root of it being like it's not in my I'll call it God for sake of ease for 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 me anyway it's not a God that like needs you to be good it's like a God of love because it is love <laughs> it's like totally yeah. yeah just getting to define like my God is huge for me and I've loved doing that and I'm also you know I 
I grew up, you know, my dad is kind of like an ex-Catholic, like philosopher, very sort of anti-religion. Um, and so I grew up with basically no spiritual guidance at all, but now I'm, I'm like so grateful for that in a way, because I've really gotten to define it all on my own terms. And there's no like baggage or trauma kind of exactly. Like I see how much a lot of people who grew up in super religious environments really struggle with creating their own relationship with a higher power. Cause it feels so like either backwards or wrong or god is just so loaded and terrible to them yeah. at that point that this they're is like, like such a burden i do this yeah <laughs> totally so i'm like yeah that sounds really hard <laughs> <laughs> like, that doesn't sound like any fun although i do like the idea of like firing that what's not working for you you know like that it's, that's kind of such a punk thing to totally. be able to do totally. um and so like I'm, I, it seems like you've lived kind of a lot of lives before arriving at where you're at. And like for listeners, you know, might not be familiar with re- your work. Can you talk a little bit about it and then a little bit about how kind of your recovery has informed it? Yeah. So do you want me to focus like on my art stuff or, or just all of it? Right? I mean, I think like it seems to me that you're, it's kind of like a holistic thing, no? It that is. like it is. I just, end up in the band and like, it's all kind of, let's fucking go. It is all connected. <laughs> like I'm often like, you know what? And being a waiter has been a huge part of my, you know, like I, I, I never want to like uh, devalue any part of my experience or, or you know, or value. But that's fucking beautiful. Like, hell yeah. Um, so yeah, like I, God, where to start? Well, I was a child actor. <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, kind of. I mean, my my parents are actors, so I grew up in like a very theatrical home, and um, and then I actually started doing drugs like really young, like fourteen or fifteen, like hardcore drugs. And I'm so, I don't know, like blessed. I guess. I mean, I am because. I one day just woke up and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I just completely was able to stop. I was just like, yeah, I don't like heroin. <laughs> That's <laughs> like the insane. opposite of a drug addict. <laughs> it's insane. And I what think I did a lot of that to get attention because I really was not getting the love I needed. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't getting the attention even the dr- in the drug addiction. So I was like, okay, well, that's clearly not working. <laughs> try to, Fuck try this. to try something else. You know, um, But that made me really jaded, like as a young person and um, really cynical and really terrified to like try new things, to define my voice. Um, So I just, and I was like obsessed with, I was like, I was, I was obsessed with looking cool and I really needed to like be cool and in control. And, um, in college, I was like doing art stuff. And, and I, one day I was like, I just want to study dance. And <laughs> Thank God I went to the coolest hippie college ever. Cause Where'd my you teacher go? was like, I went to the school called Marlboro college in Ooh. Vermont. That's like 300 students. Amazing. It's like kind of like Bennington or Hampshire, but it has zero endowment and it has since 
fold it because it's a, nobody can afford it, <laughs> wants to go to a place like that anymore. Anyway, it was a very special place. And I was just like, I want to study dance. And my teacher was amazing and let me do that. And, um, and then I immediately went to a, I went to NYU right after that, which was like a huge culture shock. The opposite. I, would, <laughs> I, would, I would like waltz into my professor's offices and be like, Hey, like how's it going and they'd be like you have to make an appointment with my assistant and I was like oh I was like calling them all by their first name and they were like excuse you that's awesome that was kind of but that grad experience was great for me because it's like more of a MA PhD program and I was like oh I'll maybe I'll do a PhD but then I, that was when I realized I was an artist because I was like, I can't read and write all day. Are you kidding me? I was like, this is insane. Um, Don't be ridiculous. I'm here yeah, to dance. I'm not a philosopher. <laughs> like I'm a weirdo. So, um, so yeah. So then I was like making weird dances for a while. And then I um, – reconnected with an old friend of mine in Los Angeles and we kind of started dating. We had known each other since we were really young and I moved to LA, uh, to be with him. And then, um, he got really into ayahuasca <laughs> and I was like, actually, this is going to be one of my next questions, which I'm yeah. very excited about. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm I, glad that you like took the lead. Go for it. It's all part of the story. Okay. Yes, so, so. Sorry if I start some long. No, it's good. Um, we love it. Long form podcast. <laughs> but I was very triggered by all of that because to me, that was like just another substance. Like it reminded me of my first boyfriend who was a heroin addict, of my second boyfriend who was a cocaine addict, of this other guy who was a cl- like a secret weed addict. You know, it's just like a type. It's Al Anon. I'm <laughs> yeah. an Al Anon. I love, <laughs> I can fix you, you know, like I'll change you. Um, So I was very nervous about that. And at the same time, he was somebody I trusted more than anybody I had ever trusted before. And also he had struggled. He was struggling with alcohol and came from kind of a alcoholic family and, and doing the medicine as he called it helped. Like he just stopped drinking and he was like, I don't need that anymore. And I was like, well, maybe this isn't as black and white as it, as I think it is. And if this is like helping this person, who am I to judge, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I sort of ended up taking that role with it. Um, but then fell into like a deep depression as Mm -hmm. we lived with each other. And also I was new to Los Angeles. I was away from my community. I was really, really struggling. And he was like, he was always like, come and do it with me. Come and do it with me. And I knew that if I did, we would break up. So I like prolonged that for as long this as This was possible. just like your intuition was yeah. like, nah. My intuition was like, you will absolutely break up if you go do this. Um, so I went and I did it. And I had the most insane experience in which like Joan Rivers came to visit me in spirit form and like a lizard, like a Cardi B slash like lizard person who I had sex with like in the portal it was like crazy it was like (laughs) (laughs) it's funny that you mentioned that because a previous guest has Joan Rivers as her higher power (laughs) which we talked about I I have the same birthday as Joan Rivers so I feel like so she came and visited me and she was like hey um you're a comedian and also 
your game. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, St. Joan. Other St. Joan. <laughs> and she was like, and you're going to come out as gay on your 30th birthday. And I was like, what? And then before I could even ask questions, it was like, happy birthday to you. Oh, my like, God. You know, like a casino lights, birthday cake, like crazy visuals, you know. And I was rocked to my core from that experience and um, uh, devastated, you know, bereft, like not well afterwards. I was just like, what the hell is going on? I kept asking for a sign. I was like, please, God, give me a sign. Like, what am I doing? And I was like at, at this uh, like home goods, this like gay home goods store in Los <laughs> Angeles. And it was like, there was a sign that was like, Dyke Day coming up. June 8th, AKA my birthday. And I was like, wow. Christ. I mean, and to kind of back to pause you and backtrack a little bit, like had you any, like with, it sounded like the kind of people in your life were like, yeah, so I was getting no shit. But like, was this like, was this news to you or had, was this kind of like a, well, this is how I connected to the the Al-Anon stuff is like when you're a, chronic, you know, when you're a codependent, you never think about your own desire. Mm. Your sole function is to fulfill the desires of other people. And that is so painful. You become you, but you don't know it is because you're like getting, you're getting the approval maybe that you always wanted through like, Mm doing things for other people. So it's this kind of like martyr problem, you know, but there's nothing wrong with being of service, of course, but not at the expense of not knowing your entire self. (laughs) (laughs) So I I really say, you know, like that relationship with my ex-boyfriend, I feel like I got to a place where I felt safe enough to kind of be like, like, what? is it that I want? You know, like I've never really thought about that. And had you like started the Al-Anon, like had you kind of been no. doing that or? I, mean, okay, I had cool. gone to some meetings throughout my life, but I had not been so rock bottom that I had, cause it's like, that's usually when you join a fellowship. Yeah. When <laughs> not bottom. when things are going super awesome. Yeah, you don't join when you're like, I'm going to nip this in the bud. You know, it's like, I, so I wasn't fully rock bots at that point. Um, <laughs> But yeah. And so then like I basically simultaneously, I did the artist's way, you know, the artist's way by Julia Cameron. We're like, obsessed with the artist's way. It's 12 steps, you know? So like it's that right. was sort of a soft launch for me into that. Um, and that was how I realized I was a comedian. And I was like, oh my God, I'm realizing I am a comedian and I'm gay at the same time. This is hell. Um, as, as information delivered to you by Joan Rivers. Yeah, your patron saint. <laughs> exactly. And, um, but I'm so grateful. It's the kind of thing where you're like thinking about yourself. I feel like this is a really helpful thing that I do, which is maybe so macabre, but it's like, I always think about myself on my deathbed and like what it is. I'll be like, I wish I had done this or like, I really wish I had given this a shot or I wish, you know, like, what is it that I'm going to regret? And for some reason I'm able to like transport to that place as a way to download what it is I need to do now. Um, That's awesome. That's really helpful. so, So it was very much like, if you don't try comedy, like, you know, you're gifted, you know, you're funny, what's stopping you, you know? So you got to try this, even though you're 30, which is like older to like jump into that, 
world. Um, but and it's such a it. scene that it, that's like, I'm sure the kind of social anxiety of it was really like <laughs> hell. It's hell. And, 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 um, so yeah. And then I met this person and who was like a comedian and, you know, it was like my first queer relationship and it was awesome. And, and then it wasn't, you know? <laughs> and, um, so, and can I ask like what, I'm so curious as to kind of how, what was kind of coming out to yourself? Like, like how, how did you feel like now that you had, I don't know, this kind of epiphany about your desire and kind of who you, like Mm -hmm. a part of your character and part of your personality, a part of like who you are on this earth. Like how did you kind of accommodate to explore that or like what changed in your life around it? Well, it felt amazing. So it was like, (laughs) it was, it was like, um, I had been suppressing a need for so long that as soon as I acknowledged it, it like exploded. And it was like, you know how people, when they come out, it's like, they're so annoying. Like it's like all they can talk (laughs) about sometimes. And like everybody gets into their little selfish phase of like being, they're like, ah, like that was very much me and age I was, 30 I, yeah I was like, blossoming so comedian happy, um and um really riding high on that Aww. and um it was just like an amazing moment for me because it also felt like I could finally um be an artist because it was like it's like the, the the block of one's desire or sexuality, I think is so connected to creativity. And I really, I, for so long, I was like, I don't know why I'm so blocked as an artist, you know, I'm mm. doing the artist's way. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, it's connected. It's like, cause you're actually kind of like in the closet from yourself a little bit, or you're, you're too scared to like go out on a limb to explore, to explore, even just to see, because I was so scared of making a mistake or looking like an idiot or something. So, well, I mean, and also I think like kind of to speak to that, the idea of, of course, the creative energy is unblocked. Like there's so much, like we think a lot about like the uses of the erotic, right? This, mm-hmm. that idea of like having like a vast amount of like, like true power, like mm-hmm. in that space. And it's not necessarily mm-hmm. about like, fucking but it's about like especially I think as a woman like it's a really vital thing right and so to Mm -hmm. kind of like have this new connection there that feels like it's alive suddenly must have been just awesome and and also like an honesty which was really needed because even in thinking about writing material as a comic at that time I was like all I want to do is write jokes about being gay, but I like, wasn't yet out to myself. And I was like, wait, what? It's almost like it like let, I'm like, well, I can't be a comic unless I'm like, like what? Like you have to get right with yourself here. Wild, so, yeah. so it was like a lot of, you know, a kaleidoscopic thing of one area of my life informing the other and needing that to support that area. And, you know, I'm, I'm making like wave motions with yeah. my fingers <laughs> right now, you know, it's like, but like a shifting terrain where like all of the pieces of the terrain need each other in order to support something. Um, 
That's so beautiful. I mean, and also I don't like, yeah, it's funny that you describe it as annoying, but I think like that idea of like suddenly, like it kind of happens a lot with people as they get sober also, but um, maybe yes, also exactly. in, in Al-Anon that like exactly. people are like, they're just like, it's all they can talk about because Being like, cloud or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And like, it's beautiful. And, and also I think it's been really interesting because like post pandemic, it feels like a lot like it, for for me at least it feels like the AA landscape has changed a lot because of the Zoom mm-hmm. context like a lot of people have been able to come out as like queer or especially like non-binary yeah. or trans yeah <laughs> and so like this the beautiful part is that like you can't afford like especially as, as you know you 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 heal you can't afford to be anything but who you are anymore like it would be like sacrilege you know it's like it's mm-hmm. self-harm to do anything but like live authentically so it's like one of the most like kind of incredible things I've ever witnessed to like watch all of these people who I love like suddenly become themselves in mm-hmm. public you know yeah. <laughs> like it's so beautiful I love that comparison or like analogy because it really is a it's like when you get sober it's like first of all the, something's lifted right so it's like the 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 goggles are lifted and then you suddenly have access to yourself. Right. And that can be like, so euphoric. And of course, grief comes with that too, just like coming out, you know? And so it's like, it's euphoria, it's grief, it's life, you know? And it's like that connectedness that I'm so grateful I get to have because not everybody does, you know? Yeah. It's such a fucking privilege. I mean, especially like right now, you know, like we're talking on election day and it's like, it feels quite fragile. Yeah. Um, And so, so you talk about like grief and hitting a rock bottom. Like how did that, 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 that kind of came after your like coming out to self and then kind of therefore in the world, like what, what happened next? I mean, I was, I was, I started to make the connection between, um, you know, coming out, I'm using air quotes so late, which 30 isn't so late. If you're still in the closet, come out, come out wherever you are, no matter what age. (laughs) Um, but I was like, damn, like, what was that about, you know, reflecting on that. And, um, I started to make the connection that it was this kind of chronic self neglect. And then I was in a relationship that was frankly triggering to me, my first gay relationship, um, because I needed my partner to be X, Y, Z for me, or I wasn't going to feel safe. Mm. And it was obviously a completely unsustainable situation <laughs> to put yourself in. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, you know, like we talk about self-compassion, like I'm sure everything was new and this felt really like going out on a fucking limb, like to have your first kind of authentically queer relationship and then yeah. be like, but also I'm still myself. <laughs> exactly. And it was really triggered by conversations around like them wanting to do drugs. And I'm always the person who's like, can you not, you know, and, and feeling really scared by that Mm. and not knowing how to just walk away because it's like, clearly it doesn't work for you to be with somebody who does drugs. So that's it, it, babe. And like you walk away, but because this was my first gay relationship, I was just like, Oh my God, I can't let this person go because I felt like my sexuality was you know, cause I'm a codependent. So I'm like, my sexuality is defined by this person. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
once I let that go and realize I'm still queer, I'm still here no matter what, <laughs> you know, um, a lot of space opened up and, um, uh, yeah. And, and I forged relationships in Al-Anon that have helped me to heal some like core family wounds. Um, and you know, I just keep going, you know, it's like, sometimes it sucks, <laughs> you know, being yeah. in recovery simply sucks. A lot yeah. Of you gotta, you have like, a lot of feelings and they have a lot of feelings about those feelings. Like, <laughs> you are in it and you are trying not to numb out and like, and my, my thing I'm, I've been on my fourth step also for hundreds of years. Like I still <laughs> am not done with it. But like something I'm really learning from that step is how avoidant I am. Like I will avoid things at whatever cost. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm curious about the Alan on fourth step because I don't know that much about it. Like is the process like kind of the same as the AA fourth same. step? Yeah, it's the same. You know, it's like what are your resentments? What's your role? Blah, blah, blah. Awesome. I'm, and I'm curious, like you mentioned, you touched on it a couple times and we don't have to go that deep into it if you don't want to, but you know, like one of our kind of anchor questions here is the, the idea of like, what were the first messages you received around sex and sexuality? Like <laughs> what was the kind of messaging that like kind of informed this, I don't know, like <laughs> radical self-denial? <laughs> right. That's such a good question. It's almost like the message was the non-message it's like there was just nobody talked about sexuality Mm. and um and so I was like filling in a lot of the blanks you know what I mean like I was basically told that you know being of service and showing up for people at your own expense is how to be a good person and mm-hmm. so, of course, when you start becoming sexually active as a young person in a patriarchal heterosexual, you know, environment or like situation, I'm translating that as I better be of service to this person and, you know, period. override my own needs, period. like, That's or it. not even investigate them, full really. Stop. There's no yeah. investigation. It's just full stop. That's what you are, you know, um, And it's so funny because it's like my mom is such a feminist and like so is my dad. But, you know, it's very classic. Like people, when it comes to parenting, it's like (laughs) no matter how smart or political or wonderful people are, a lot gets lost in like that relationship, right? Because I think from what I can imagine, because also I do birth doula work, so I, like, witness a lot of this. Okay, we're going to have to touch on that yeah, <laughs> later, but like, wow. It's like that, having a kid, it's like that brings up all of your core wounds. Like, it, it just occurred to me, you know, I'm like, I was like, my parents are fucked up, and, like, they trigger me so much, and it just occurred to me this past year, I was like, I think I trigger my parents, actually, mm. you know? Like, I might be triggering to them, and that made me, like, Oh, and have so much more compassion for them mm. because I'm like, damn, of course I do. Like, yeah, it's know? like it's the dance. <laughs> like, it's not even a bad thing, but it's just like we all trigger each other, you know, and like, oh, I just never thought that that was like a, a direction 
that was yeah. possible. <laughs> it's just so funny. It's like, of, like my, one of my favorite therapist's favorite questions is like, is it possible that it's co-created? Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, no shit. Of course it is, David. It's, like, so it's always co-created. Is it possible? <laughs> patronizing fuck. Yeah, of course it's possible. <laughs> is your question rhetorical? Um, yeah. Is this totally. a thought question, David? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But that's, but that's so rad to be able to realize that and to be able to be like, oh, fuck, like from that space, I can actually let go of the narrative that it's your fault. I'm like this. Yes, totally. Um, so yeah, so growing up, you know, and then like, I do attribute a lot of my like queer root to like seeing Rocky Horror Picture Show, like really young and, um, (laughs) We love um, that. Everyone else is like Madonna. Madonna. I know. <laughs> it's my also, number one sexual message. <laughs> wait, hold on. Um, uh, I have to look this up real quick. I always know her name, but from whatever. Oh yeah, my mom had this coffee table book of photographs by Diane Arbus. Oh, amazing! That was, like my porn as a child, like, <laughs> that awkward boy. <laughs> and, like if you know Diane Arbus's photographs, it's like what? Like that was your porn? It's like it's, it's like, like circus like, freaks in the dust bowl. It's, yeah, it's literally like so-called cir- circus freaks, you know, or like you know transvestites, you know, uh, all of this stuff. And I was like obsessed with this book, or like nudist colony people, and like their bodies are of all shapes and sizes and abilities and situations. And I found that book so, like, I don't know, but it just stuck with me my whole life. And I, I, I really feel like that informed a lot of my queer desire. (laughs) But that's like, I mean, honestly, like we can laugh about it, but I also really like Diane Arbus. But I think there is this idea of like imprinting and we say like, you know, this idea of like queering or like, kind of kinking you know this idea of like something that's outside of like a straight line towards you know white picket fence or whatever this idea of like something that feels attractive for unknown reasons that's like outside the bond like the kind of bounds of normalcy or whatever that I think is like that those things are strong strong hooks yeah, and I feel like Diane Arbus's photographs specifically, like, I remember looking at it almost with, like, there's this kind of tingling disgust desire um, thing that I'm like, oh, 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 you know, like, it's, like, kind of gross, but, and, like, scary, but I want it, and I don't know why, and, yeah, <laughs> like, that, hurts my teeth, was, I don't, yeah, yeah, that was my experience, like, with her work as a kid, and then it was so funny, because, like, in the kind of, like, right before I had that ayahuasca experience, I was, like, doing a art residency in Oakland, And I, like, got picked up by this, like, cute girl who, like, wanted to take me to the museum. And I was like, oh, we're just going as friends, you know. And it was a (laughs) Diane Arbus show. And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, it's this is relentless. Um, So, yeah. So that was kind of, like, another sign that I, like, had been trying to ignore. But that's fucking like, that's, that's interesting, especially like in retrospect. And now, you know, like you identify as a queer artist, right? Mm-hmm. Which would be like, I'm I'm curious as to kind of like a, your language and your decision to use that kind of in your bio or whatever, this idea of like, this is a strong 
like social and creative identification Mm -hmm. and like what it means to you and what it means, like how your sexuality, like we touched on it a little bit before, but I'm curious, like how your sexuality and like, I guess desire informs your work, like not only in comedy, which of course, like that's cute, but kind of more holistically, because it sounds like you do, like it's a much bigger picture than just like comedy. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I'm interested in, Well, when I think about the bio, it makes me just think of like value systems because it's like you learn a lot about somebody by how they write about themselves in their bio, right? And um, I try to keep it sort of not too serious, but um, I've always been sort of like, how come I have to have a different resume for like my art world CV versus like the work that I actually do for money. And so I'm like, I think it's kind of funny to write into my art bio, like waiter, (laughs) you know what (laughs) I mean? Like, I'm like, why is that not a part of my experience? Because it is actually just like, I'm not supposed to mention it. I'm supposed to pretend I'm like independently wealthy and don't work (laughs) or something. Um, And so like, I know that that informs my uh, way of moving through the world. And also like I have, you know, the birth doula work that's so so, connected to my spirituality. So I'm so curious, how did you kind of get into that? Like, how did that, cause it does sound weirdly that like the, in fact, the whole picture is like the whole picture. Like you can't take a single piece of it and make sense of the rest of it, you know, like that, that, that there's no separation (laughs) it would be ludicrous to separate it I think like you know uh, my mother you know my mother had a difficult birth with me you know so it's like there's that wound that's like starting this process Mm. right and it's like um I was working with a choreographer who was a doula and she was like, you should check this out. And she told me a lot about it. And I was like hooked on what she was telling me. And so I thought, Hey, I'm in LA. There's all these trainings for this. This is such a doula town, you know, and I, I got a training. <laughs> is it the doula capital of the United States, if not is. the world? <laughs> I feel like in a really gross way though. Um, but I did the training and I was volunteering and it's like, it's like all of this stuff, you know, it's selfish in a way. Like, I don't want to say, you know, it's like I'm being of service, but also like I was being a doula because I was working out something in me, whether Mm -hmm. I knew it or not. It's like, I'm doing it for my mother. I'm doing it for me. I'm doing it for these women, um, or other people giving birth. And learning the language of being a doula, like trust the process, people going, I can't give birth. I can't give birth. You go, you're already doing it. You're already giving birth. That's the language I needed to hear. It was Mm -hmm. really like a, a mothering process for myself um, that I didn't even really know was going on Mm -hmm. until like years later. Um, And also being at births is just basically the coolest thing in the whole world. I mean, so. that's wild. Like it's, it's actually weird. I forgot. I, I'd read and, and like I heard podcasts in which you talked about being a birth doula in my internet stalking of you. And, um, and my partner and I were like, just talking, like we had weirdly our kind of one of our bigger conversations about like the possibility of being parents today. Cause like I'm 36 mm-hmm. and I'm like, 
I, I don't know. It's like a light switch. It's just like dick, 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 like on and off. If if that's something I want, you know, mm-hmm. and <laughs> big anxiety is actually being pregnant because I'm so fucking controlling over my body and like basically only do what I want all the time. <laughs> you know, and it's like I think it sounds like we have quite similar like yeah like authoritative dictator yeah. <laughs> inner voices, and I'm totally. like somebody. <laughs> Living inside me <laughs> to dictate me instead of me mm-hmm. sounds like a fucking absolute nightmare. And yet I'm so afraid of like the regret, you know, the thing that you were talking about, like the deathbed thing of like, man, I fucking, I regret not, not trying that. Mm-hmm. Even if just trying that means like the rest of your life is inextricably altered forever. That's the <laughs> thing know? about trying that with a kid. <laughs> yeah. The totally. Of it all, you know. And so this idea of you kind of talking about like so much of the the inner work, right, of of recovery kind of in a global sense, not just with like drugs and alcohol, but like, you know, mm-hmm. big picture has been like learning that that voice of compassion, right? That's mm-hmm. like like learning how to kind of reparent oneself, even yeah. if like the idea of connecting to an inner child when I started this work was like so fucking gross and like <laughs> confusing. Totally. I was like, who do I'm talking to? Friends. This is whack. Fuck this child. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, you. the Nazis. I'm like, like, what do you need? I, I have your back. <laughs> recovery. I literally sleep with my teddy bear now. Oh. When I was a kid, which I used to, I used to like hide my teddy bear. And I was like, no one wants to see you. That's weird. Oh. And that's weird that you have affection for a stuffed animal. You're an adult. What's wrong with you? And now through recovery, I like fully sleep with my stuffed <laughs> That's the fucking sweetest thing I think I've heard in like years. Oh, yeah, does I it know. have a name? Bear. Bear. Yeah. <laughs> like, where's Bear? Bear. She's so cute. Aww. But that's been like that's that's that kind of like integrating the cringe of like the inner child stuff, and you're just like, oh. you know what? I need this. The time, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know what? Like, I love the part of myself that needs this. <laughs> Fuck yeah, <you>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like totally. I'm here to stand up for her. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but I saw. Wait, we were t- we were discussing like in addition to kind of being a birth doula, like. I'm how how did that like and you also said you were uh, a researcher for a private investigator yeah I because I I used to work for like magazines when I lived in New York um I'm like a fact checker that's my kind of like straight man job and I love that work because you get to read about random shit you would never read about ever um and then become like an expert on it (laughs) um so when I moved to LA, like I wasn't making money doing doula stuff because I'm also a chronic under earner and like wasn't charging any money for that for some reason. Um, so I was like, it seems I, like hard work. <laughs> it <laughs> is. And, and now I finally charge the right amount of money, but, um, for me, but, um, so I'm, I like got hooked up with this guy who was the founder of this art space I was connected to, and he had a private investigation company. And so I started working for him doing, background checks for people. Um, and it's interesting work because doing that at the same time as the doula stuff, I ended up writing a script about this too, that like only a few people have ever seen, but it's like, I was navigating, (laughs) I was navigating this kind of world of, um, trust the process versus like, what is the truth? Like, what are the facts? Like these very different 
epistemological ways of being dances yeah (laughs) and and as a Gemini obviously I love to dance between the two you know like I'm all about duality and like going between these very different you know these extremes um but also being a fact checker has been so interesting over the years because with just like the amount of dis dismiss information it's like wild to to think about how the truth is changing as an idea yeah. and like how malleable it kind of actually is because I, in private investigation it's like there is a truth right but at the same time you're working for a client so you have to tell the story they want to hear which wow. once i learned that i was like all of this shit is fucking bullshit <laughs> I mean, I was like, is there a truth? I was like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> like, like, and also as a performer, like to be able to kind of investigate the, like, like literally like do full background reports on characters, you know, like, I, do you know Anna Devere Smith? Yes. Love yeah. Smith. Love yeah. her. Listeners, check out Anna Devere Smith. <laughs> but this idea of kind of like building like real people kind of into yeah. performance. And it seems like almost that kind of work, which is like, it feels almost intellectual, perf- like performative intellect, mm-hmm. but also like really holistic and creative that that kind of speaks to like where you've found yourself as, as an artist and a performer and a comedian kind of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all of that stuff tied up into one. <laughs> oh, but what I wanted to say, because you live in Paris, I'm so sad. I was just in Paris this summer. I wish we had connected then. Yeah. Um, because come I back. feel like all of this stuff, I really want to come back. I want to move there immediately, frankly. Um, but I was doing clown stuff in Paris because I feel like this is sort of where I, where I've landed. It's like all this inner child stuff. It's like about being embarrassed on purpose. <laughs> like clown. And like really embodied. That. Yeah. And I, it's like just this idiot who like doesn't know anything and, and, and that's like who you want to be, you know? And I'm like, I love it. It feels so spiritual. It feels like where I'm supposed to be at. So So actually, like, I know that there's like a massive kind of French clowning tradition. Like, is that what you were studying? And can you talk about it? Because like, I don't know that much about it, except it exists. (laughs) I mean, there's the Jacques Lecoq school in Paris, and it's a theater, physical theater school. and, And he, you know, was responsible for a lot of like, the modern clown like lineage and Buffon, but one of his students, Philippe Goyer, uh, sort of like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like departed from Lecoq and created his own school. And cause they had very different opinions about clown and Buffon, I guess. So, so I went to study with Philippe cause Jacques Lecoq died many years ago. His still, his school still goes on, but he, he hasn't been alive since like 97, I think. So Philippe Gaulier is sort of this like last living clown master or whatever, you know, and he's like almost 90 years old or maybe he's 80 years old. But, um, so I went to go study with him in Etang outside of Paris and, um, it was sounds awesome. so fucking awesome. And, and it was just like, I just got to try everything once. You know, I was like, I just got to go check it out and meet the man. And um, I've, I've worked with some of his students who uh, are also clown masters. Like, are you kidding me? Like, there's a lot of living <laughs> clown masters, you know. And they were like so clear and wonderful. And 
Um, I love working with them. And, um, but like Philippe, it's like going to Philippe, it's like having an experience with this. Person. I mean, you, you said you were in a temple, you were in a temple. And no, it's called a temple. It's the name of the town. Oh, sick. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. you were in a temple of clowns. Yeah. No, it's, it's <laughs> I get really temple. excited. It's off the yellow line or whatever. Very nice. Train, what train I was taking, but, um, yeah, a funny little town, like about an hour outside of Paris, and he has his whole school there. And so, how do you like? Do, do you have a plan, or is that kind of the beauty of it? Is no. it that no? But <laughs> but this idea of like how to kind of incorporate this this part, which it sounds like it's it's rooted in like there's a whole there's a much bigger kind of philosophy, like kind of globally happening that doesn't necessarily like I and I'm. I listen to and I, I follow a lot of comedy, but I'm not. It's not my scene. Obviously, I'm a fucking DJ anyway. Um, <laughs> but, but there's a lot of similarities between DJs and comedians, anyway. But there's um, like, does do you feel like there's room for this kind of this breadth of what you're trying to execute, like within modern comedy, or do you feel like it's more like in almost theater or the art world? Like where do you see yourself fitting in? And you're like, fuck it. I don't plan on fitting in. They get fucked. (laughs) This is just my question that I have the same question. And like, I don't really know where I belong. And, um, you know, I was just sort of like dabbling and maybe going back to school and I was looking at these different programs and it's like either visual art, either theater. Yeah. Like, and I'm just like, unfortunately, like I transcend these <laughs> genres. Like I call myself genreless, but I, I'm like, I'm genreless, but it comes from a place of abundance rather than lack. You know? Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm interested in using all of my experience to create something that's unique to me and what I do. And it sucks because it's fucking hard to apply for grants when you don't have your like genre all locked and ready. The dossier of like places that you fit. (laughs) Yeah. The like, which discipline are you and what are you most trained in? And are you an expert and all of the, and I'm like, I don't know. Um, but I, I am pretty much at the point where I'm like, I just got to do me and like create my own road. And, um, there are people in, in this lineage or like, I, I see other artists who I'm like, I feel like I'm in their lineage. So I don't feel like I'm doing something so crazy. Um, cause a lot of people work, you know, across disciplines like this, but it is, even within the disciplines of like art theater or whatever, there's also the art world and entertainment industry. Yeah. And what I have learned is that like, I kind of want nothing to do with the entertainment industry. I got really close to it and I think it's sick and depraved. I thought the art world was bad. The entertainment industry really put a bad taste in my mouth. Mm. Um, I have an amazing like manager right now who is awesome and gets me thank god but I used to work with reps who were just like basically trying to tell me what to do yeah and And can you make it stupider kind of so it can be palatable I don't I don't follow orders you know and maybe that's bad but but I you know it's like obviously I follow the direction of a director and I respect that hierarchy but you're an agent do not tell me what to do (laughs) 
And that's what makes me an artist. You know what I mean? Because I don't want to be in the entertainment industry so bad that I will genuflect to these losers all day long. Like I can't, and I'm not like a sycophant. Like I don't need people to like me no matter what. Like I don't, I just don't. That's Alanon. <laughs> I just don't. It's Alanon. Yeah. I'm like, I can't. And like, I see all these people doing that and they're miserable. They have tons of money and they're miserable and they're husks. Love you well, guys. I wish you well. <laughs> but I, mean, I, think, I think that that's like the difference between art and entertainment though, right? That like, there's a certain amount of respect that like for the, the art itself that you're like, I'm not, I can't. I, I can't tell it what to do. <laughs> like, a lot of actors have that. A lot of actors, yeah. writers, directors have the deep respect for the theater and the art, but they are the industry itself though, by the industry because they basically can't get ahead unless they devalue themselves. Mm. So it, it's rigged. And it's like, it's not like these people are, you know, it's not like I'm better than any of these people. It's just like, you have to make a choice at a certain point. And, um, I get why people choose money. I totally get it. I I wish I could be like that, but unfortunately, I can't. <laughs> like, too difficult. <laughs> I wish I could be like that. I'm too I'm too difficult of a person, frankly. I appreciate that very much. <laughs> um, so you, but like that being said, like you are working on a couple of your own projects right now. Can you talk a little bit about them and like what workshopping looks like and and what you're excited about as an artist? Yeah, or well, I, I'm really trying to figure out how to like make money doing what I love right because I'm trying to like have some kind of sustainability so I I, I'm doing this workshop called rehearsal which I've been doing for like 10 years on and off which is literally just a recreation of my dance composition class in college where people share work and then we talk about it. So, but now I'm charging for it. So I have people coming, sharing their work because a lot of times in, in, in big cities like this, the only place you can try stuff out and have an audience is an open mic where you get three minutes. So I'm trying to create a space where people can have 30 minutes to maybe explore something like an evening length piece or an hour or whatever it is. And then I facilitate a conversation where we give dedicated feedback to this artist. And, um, that's really beautiful. New, yeah, I'm starting a new round of it and I really love it. I love and I I got a directing job out of this, you know, this past spring. My friend uh Nalini Sharma, whose show I'm directing Until Death at the Elysian Theater, um uh we workshopped her piece and then she asked me to direct it, which was like such an awesome portal or like it was the world being like Hey, you should be a director. And I was like, who, me? And now I love it. And it's so cool. I'm, I'm like, I'm loving it. Um, and then I'm trying to write a play right now. So that's what I'm working on. I'm trying to integrate a lot of what I've learned in clown. That's like actually a lot of, a lot of improvisation, but I'm going to try to get it down in some kind of written form so I can work with an ensemble and like make a a show with like eight people. Yeah. That's so exciting. And it sounds like a lot of the stuff that you're working on is like kind of based around creating and serving a community. Does that resonate? Yeah. I mean, for, for, it's like, I didn't even mean to do that. (laughs) Honestly, it wasn't even like a goal, but that's what's happening now. And it feels good. And, um, I, I, 
you know, a lot of people disagree with me, including my partner who is an artist, but I'm like, I feel like everybody can just be an artist and everybody can be <laughs> an artist. And I like want people to just try things out and see what, see what happens. And, um, like, I love when people take my workshop who have never made performance in their lives. And sometimes they'll like do something so weird. And I'm like, you're actually a genius. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I kind of hate you because you made like the best thing I've seen in a long time. Um, oh, and wow. It's really nourishing for me too. Cause I get to see like how people think and make their work. And um, yeah, it's, it's just cool. Do you realize that you're like being a birth doula for other people's Exactly. Work? I know, I know. That's what my <laughs> like, um, I thought I was being doula. a genius. God damn it. Yeah. Comedy doula. I've been called a comedy doula because I made a one on oh. I made a one on one comedy show last year. I, I, I did just one audience member. One audience member. And um I would really like to bring that back and have like a run of that, but obviously I'm incapable of making work that uh you know <laughs> like how does it afford itself yeah. <laughs> but I mean it sounds incredible but it has to be like 500 bucks yeah, per I mean, I'm a performance artist in that way where I make like <laughs> difficult work um but it was amazing and that was very much like a comedy doula experience <laughs> I mean that's an amazing thing to be because like I this is a one-man show but I like just my- one man can be here <laughs> exactly and I get it becomes a duet it becomes a duet like I get my audience member to come on stage and talk to me like with a mic and then I'm like that's really good I'm like good set <laughs> you know? it's, really it's so beautiful it's <laughs> Marina and there you're you found your Ulai in every show <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> So um, often on Sober Sex, we talk about the concept of a sex ideal or who we'd like to show up as or grow towards showing up as in a sexual or romantic partnership. Are you working with a sex ideal today? Mm, I feel actually really dysfunctional about sex, like a lot of the time, because I, I think I have like, I mean, who doesn't intimacy issues? So it's like the closer I am with somebody, like the more scared I am of being sexual with them actually. Hmm. So yeah, um, that makes. what I would like to show up as is like a more like trusting and open sexual partner to like those that I love and am close with. Um, I also feel like I need to just appreciate my own body more. Um, I don't at all. Like I'm, I have very, I have a lot of deprivation around my own body. And, but this um, is the work, right? Like, yeah. And that's like a new, that's like the sexuality stuff is going to be like a long road for me, I think, but it's cool that I've cracked into it with like coming out. Uh, but you know, I really like, I don't have like a strong relationship with myself sexually and I would love to like grow that. So I feel like showing up for myself first and foremost in that way would be like a goal. That's fucking beautiful though. And like perhaps being on a show called Sober Sex can be like a, a, a like drop in that bucket. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. And thank you for being so, so wonderful and honest about that. Cause I think it can be a vulnerable question yeah. and to kind of in the show on a, on a light and abundant note, um, <laughs> we descend into the lightning round. So don't think too hard. Okay. This is how we wrap. Uh, what is your favorite song to get pumped up? Um, uh, John Philip Sousa marching band music. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> so awesome. <laughs> 
This is how we know that you're like true a true clown. <laughs> like, it's very on brand. Or, or John Williams and Pop the Orchestra, you know, who does like all the movies, like famous movies like Indiana Jones and stuff. <laughs> This is incredible, actually. It, it never would have occurred to me. I'm like, pump up the jam. Pump up the jam is a good pump up song. And you're like, actually, unless it involves hand symbols, I'm Hold not on. listening. Marching band. <laughs> um, celebrity crush. Um, Willem Dafoe. <laughs> I had a boyfriend Willem who looked Dafoe quite a lot like Willem Dafoe. Francis McDormand, both of them. Worcester Group, early Worcester Group actors. Love them. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's really wonderful, actually. That combo is fucking sick. Yeah. Um, what is a great series or book or movie you've recently enjoyed? Um, a great book I've enjoyed. Um, Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I enjoyed that, but yeah, I it's a good book. A series I just watched. Um, oh my god, I watch so much TV that it blends all together. Unfortunately, my um, I I hate even calling it this. My guilty pleasure. It's not my guilty pleasure. It's not it's guilty. It's pleasure. just a pleasure. Any Real Housewives franchise. Um, I love all of those shows. They're so insane. Such a pleasure. <laughs> I love um, watching how women have conflict with each other. So <laughs> interesting. You're like, this is what I'm here for. Um, what? How do you restart or like reset if you're having a bad day? Mm. Um, I just start with like a gentle breath for myself. Mm. Yeah. Just like, because it's like, I don't know how... Yeah, it's like, what do you, what do you do? Just forget to breathe. Just, just breathe. Yeah, I'm probably holding the, pro- the whole problem is that I've been holding my breath for the whole day. So yeah. for like your entire life, actually. Yeah, literally. Like I say, I'm a big person. I sometimes I take two baths a day. I love a bath. A bath is my place to just like <laughs> go away. Yo, I, there, this like I feel like our lives are in parallel. <laughs> We're secretly like very close to being the same person, okay. but it's also just because I love Gemini's. Like I love them. That's a rare thing to hear. No, but like if there's somebody who I like love irrationally, it's usually a Gemini. <laughs> What's your like, sign? Capricorn. Oh really? You love a yeah. Gemini as a Capricorn? I love that. Always. No, we're obsessed. <laughs> Can't get enough. Um, what turns you on? And that can be like, sexually or it can be like creatively intellectually like mm. what jazzes you up um like people who are um connected to their like genius which is like their connection to god i think you know like when mm. people are really good at what they're doing and they know they're good at what they're doing that's hot to me that's really hot competence i think is like yeah competence. but like beyond and like, you know, I love a, I also love an authority. I love an authority figure. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what to do. <laughs> this is the code of penance, but it's really great. You're like, oh, you're making the decisions. I love that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I can just turn off. <laughs> and finally, what do you love other than an authority figure? Like, what do you love? Um, I love... Um, people. 
I love, I was just saying this last night, I love um, people who are like moved really easily. Like I cry really easily and I love that about myself. Um, and I love my dogs and mm. I love, this is so boring. I'm sorry. I love art. No, make a fucking gratitude list. Like, go. This is how we end the show. <laughs> I love coffee. I love. I hate my phone. I hate my phone, and I hate social media. So I don't love that. They're not on the list. <laughs> they are. They don't get to be on the list. I love oysters. I love teaching people how to shuck oysters. I love. <laughs> the moon i don't know yeah there you go that's fantastic i love that i love that list personally thank (laughs) you so much sophia you're a delight to have as a guest and i hope that we actually get to meet in person at some point because you're fantastic i'm gonna be in europe in in, uh next summer so i'll I'll hit you up fuck yeah holler we're we're making a guest house (laughs) it's all happening Sexuality, gender identity, recovery, recovery, got a spiritual growth. Summer.